Good evening. Welcome to another edition of our Wednesday night Parashat HaShavua class where we embark on the Hasidic studies of the Parashat HaShavua, looking at ways that we can improve our connection with Borei Olam HaKadosh Baruch Hu. This week we are studying Parashat Bo. This week's parasha, the famous parasha of the remaining three plagues that HaKadosh Baruch Hu cast down on the Egyptians. Of course, last week we studied seven of them, but this week we have the final three culminating with Makat Bechorot and Yetziat Mitzrayim, the exodus of, of Egypt. It's something about the plagues that a lot of people seem to forget. There's an element of the Makot that people don't pay attention to. You think of the wrath, you think of the power, the sheer power that God had in striking down the Egyptians. But the Makot also created laughter. It created laughter and happiness, not among the Egyptians, obviously, but created laughter among the Jewish communities living in Egypt. The Pasuk tells us, Asher hit'alalti be'mitzrayim. Rashi says, Maze hit'alalti? Sihakti. I played. It was like a game. The Chachamim explain that the Jewish people needed this joy to be redeemed because otherwise Hashem would not redeem them in a state of sadness, in a state of depression or atzvut. They needed to feel happy. And watching the plagues happen in front of them was this notion that they brought happiness. Now, we can go on and talk about do not, do not be happy at the downfall of your, of your enemy. But there, there was a certain uplifting here from a, a level of depression and sadness to, oh my gosh, this is really happening. There, there are smiles on, on the faces of the Jewish people. There was once a Chacham who rebuked his son because he wasn't happy. He wasn't a happy boy. And the son asked, Abba, you know, I'm not a perfect child. There's so many things I do wrong in my life. Why do you rebuke me specifically? Because I'm not happy. Let me be, uh, you know, rebuke me because I came late to tefillah. Rebuke me because I didn't say Birkat Amazon. What's going on here? Because I'm not happy? So the, uh, the father said, he says, you know, I want to tell you something. I know that when you grow up, you're going to have Yirat Shamayim. You're going to have fear of heaven. You're going to improve your ways, even though you're not perfect now. Uh... And, you know, that comes with time. But when it comes to happiness, people don't recognize its importance. You may think it isn't bad if you're sad, or you're depressed, or if you're down and somber. But I want to encourage you that that's not the way it should be. You should be besimha as much as you can. One accomplishes so much more in his life when he's happy. Not just in his everyday um whereabouts and what and how he converses and engages with other people. But even when a person prays, Achachamim says, a tefillah that is said with simcha is way more better than a tefillah that is said with tears. Once, Rabuni Mipeshizcha, one of the great Hasidic Rebbe's, he saw someone fall into the sea and this man was almost drowning. 
And Rabunim called out to him and he said, Send regards to the Leviathan. Say hi to the Leviathan. Now, as we know, the Leviathan is this great monster fish that lives in the depths, depths of the ocean that our rabbis talk about. What's he saying to the guy? Say hi to the Leviathan? As if to say what? Like, is he going to drown? Is, 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 uh, you know, uh, well, why not, why not help him? All of a sudden, he found a beam, this man, and he was able to save himself and come back to shore. So the people asked Rabunim, what are you doing telling the guy this? So he explained to him that I saw that the man was panicking and he was distressed. And I realized that he doesn't have the peace of mind to save himself. So I said a joke. I cracked a joke. I lightened the atmosphere. And he was able to think clearly and found a way to save himself. The truth is, unfortunately, if you read about studies of people that drown, that or they're caught in rip currents, the reason why they get tired so fast is because they're so nervous, they don't know what to do. And often the first piece of advice that you hear from, uh, you know, lifeguards or professional swimmers is just calm during the situation. Is be calm. Be, uh, be, be, uh, clear your mind. The moment you're nervous, the more you're anxious, it could bring your downfall. Someone once came up to his uh, mentor and says, you know, I've been married for so many years and I'm still childless, my wife and I, and uh, it's very difficult. So his mentor told him, he said, be besimcha, you should be happy. If you be with simcha, God will send you simcha. So the man felt that being happy was impossible. How am I supposed to be happy when all my friends, all my family are having children and they're raising families and here at my house, my wife is crying, all the neighbors are, are, are celebrating birthdays and, I, and it's, it's very difficult. So he went back. And again, he says, listen, it's so hard to be happy. What am I supposed to do? And again, the mentor replied, what can I do? HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves Simcha. And if you find Simcha, if you work hard for it, God will send you Simcha. The man followed the advice. It was so difficult for him. It definitely wasn't easy. But he knew his future depended on him being happy. And nine months later, he had a child. What do we say? Every uh, many many uh, Ashkenazi Jews, some Sfaradim also say the paragraph of Tehillim. Uh, before Birkat Amazon. It's one of the chapters in Tehillim. Tehillim Kuf Kaf Vav, uh, 126. And there, David Amelch says, As Then the nations will say how great Hashem was with these things. And the rabbis expound this pasuk to say that in the future the goyim are going to ask, why is Hashem giving the Jewish people so much? Why is He giving? So you know what we're going to answer the goyim? You know what we're going to respond to that? You want to know the reason why Hashem is doing so much imanu for us? Because we were always happy. Even in Galut, despite the hardships, Klal Israel has to push themselves to be happy. And therefore, we deserve to receive Hashem's kindness. That same chapter of Tehillim says, Which can be expounded to say that when a person serves God with sadness and with crying, He will receive kindness because he's still serving God. He's still performing the mitzvot. However, but the person who serves God with joy 
he will carry packages filled alumotav with the bounty of Hakadosh Baruch Hu. So so important. This one aspect of the makot that is usually not thought of. But what were the Jewish people going through at that time? God had to take him out, but they had to take him out with happiness. And he through the makot, they felt this sense of joy, and they were uplifted in their feelings and their emotions so that they were able to be redeemed. But what I really want to talk to you tonight is about the uh, another idea about life in taking things one step at a time. The Gemara discusses uh, two cities in Babylon, Babylonia, that were extremely, extremely luxurious. The wine in these cities was superb. The bathhouses were special. And the Gemara tells us that unfortunately, because of these luxuries, the people, the Jews that lived in the city, in these cities, this was after the destruction of Bet Hamidash, Galut Pavel, where the Gemara took place, many Jews in the city became lax in their Torah study because they were enticed to follow uh, much of the Gashmiut and the materialistic aspects of the world. One of the big uh, Tanaim was Rabbi Al-Azhar ben Arach, who was one of the great Tamidei Chachamim of his time. The Mishnan Perkei Avot says, if all the Jewish sages were on one side and Rabbi Al-Azhar ben Arach was on the opposite side, the scale would tip in his favor. That's how great he was in his merits. Not only that, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai once kissed Rabbi Al-Azhar ben Arach on his forehead and said, Avraham Avinu, you are fortunate that Rabbi Al-Azhar ben Arach came from you, one of your descendants. That's what Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai thought of Rabbi uh, Al-Azhar ben Arach, one of his students. Nevertheless, how great Rabbi Al-Azhar ben Arach was when he went to these two cities in Babel he forgot his learning. He forgot his learning. Now this is something we can't understand. But we're just saying what the Gemara is, is telling us. Rabbi Al-Azhar went back to his hometown and he was reading Parashat Bo, this week's parasha from Asefer Torah. And when he got to the words, HaChodesh Yihyeh Lachem, which is the first commandment that God gave the Jewish people as a nation, the commandment of Rosh Chodesh sanctifying the first month, the month of Nisan, Instead of reading it, he read it, Their hearts were deaf. And instead of libam. So instead of saying the this new moon for you, he said their hearts were deaf. Now the Chachamim prayed for him and eventually he remembered the Torah again. The Katzka Rebbe, one of the great, great Chachamim, explained that the words HaChodesh HaZelachem and HaCheresh HaYalibam are almost the same letters. A drop of ink on the top right edge of the Resh turns it from HaCheresh to HaChodesh. A Resh and a Dalit is one little drop of ink. And as well, a drop of ink on the Yud of Haya turns it into HaZeh. And a drop of ink turns lachem into libam. So, such, so small 
um, amount of ink can change the meaning completely. So he tells us from the Kotzka Rebbe that this teaches us that improvement in life is achieved with small steps. A person doesn't have to make major changes in a day. Just with minor improvements here and there, he can change from being hacheresh libam, they were deaf in their hearts, or their hearts were deaf, to becoming hachodesh hazelachem, like a brand new person, like chadash, like a new moon. You could be somebody that, that is totally deaf, a, a close-hearted person to someone who is willing to accept everything in life, to being chadash. And this happened in Mitzrayim. They were on the 49th level of Tum'ah. They performed only two mitzvot. And those two mitzvot elevated them to the highest levels. The Midrash tells us that Hashem promised Abraham Avinu that he was going to take his descendants out of Mitzrayim. And the time was ripe for this. The problem was that the Midrash writes, The time for redemption came, But you were unclothed, you were naked. Naked what? Naked with mitzvot. With mitzvot. They didn't have any mitzvot. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave him two mitzvot to perform. The Korban Pesach and the Brit Milah. The Pasuk says, I came over to you and I saw you were wallowing in the bloods. Where is the plural? Bloods. Pesach and Milah. The blood of Korban Pesach and the blood of Brit Milah. And I said, due to your blood, the blood of Milah and the Korban Pesach, you will live and be redeemed. And in those merits, the Jews were saved from Egypt. So we see what? Small steps, two mitzvot in the right direction. A person can reach very great heights. There was once a yeshiva student who was learning in a Lithuanian yeshiva and who was traveling home to Switzerland. And he made a stop over in Radin so he could speak to the Hafez Chaim. He arrived in the Radin's train station at 2 o'clock in the morning. It was snowing. He didn't really know where to go. Over there, Mina Shamaim, there was an elderly Jew, an older Jew at the train station. And the older man asked the boy, where do you want to go? Where are you going? So the, the student said, and who are you? So he says, my name is Tzvi Levinson. So the student recognized the name, that Tzvi Levinson was the, the Chafetz Chaim's son-in-law. So he said, you're the Chafetz Chaim's son-in-law. I want to go to visit the Chafetz Chaim. That's where I'm going. So the man said to the boy, where are you planning on sleeping tonight? He said, I don't know, I didn't make any plans. So he took him to his house and offered him food to eat. He says, listen, I don't want to eat, I just want to sleep. I, all I, I'm so late, in, it's early, in the, it's two in the morning, three in the morning by this point, I just want to sleep. So he covered himself with warm blankets, and then he remembered that he didn't pray Arvit yet, but he's already in bed. So he said, you know what? I plan to get out of bed to do tefillah, but you know what? Just one more moment of comfort under the blankets. And as it often happens, he fell into a deep sleep. Next thing he knows, the sun is beaming in his eyes. In the morning, he wakes up, he prays shachrit, and he goes, uh, and he went home with, uh, with uh, Rav Levinson. And then after breakfast, he brought him to see the Chafetz Chaim. The Chafetz Chaim told the Bahur, the student, the following. He says, you know, I remember... The evil era in Russia. There was so much money back then. Money fell to the ground and people didn't even bother picking it up. But today, in Europe, life is so bad. We are so poor. 
that when a copper coin falls to the ground, people rush to pick it up. And he continued to tell the student, I'm telling you this to teach you an important lesson. There were times where there were so much, so many tzaddikim in the world, on the era of the Tanaim and the Amoraim, there was so much holiness in the world. Simple deeds performed by simple people didn't make an impression in Shamaim. But in our generation, where there's a hunger in Shamaim, there's a hunger in heaven for spirituality. Every small deed, even those performed by simple people, are precious in Shamaim. In the time when there's hunger, even any tiny speck of food, every morsel is precious. And in our generation, he told the boy, when a student forgets to pray Arvit, the void is noticeable in Shamaim. And the boy was overwhelmed by the Hafez Chaim's Ruach HaKodesh. And the Hafez Chaim spoke about forgetting Arvit, which is exactly speaking, speaking to him exactly what happened the night before with him. And he told him that this lesson is seen in Rashi. Rashi says that the time for the redemption arrived, but the Jewish people didn't have merits. And therefore Hashem commanded them to do Brit Milah and Korban Pesach. And these are the mitzvot that made them worthy of redemption. How are solely two mitzvot sufficient? And again, at the time, the Jewish people were at a 49th level of impurity. Two mitzvot. They're going to change, two mitzvot are going to change them from the 49th level of impurity? Is that what we're saying? And the answer is yes. In the time of spiritual deficiency, in the time where the world is in its lowly state of holiness, every small mitzvah is highly valued in Shamaim. In the end of last week's parasha, in Makat Barad, Parol said, Chatati Yapam, Hashem HaTzadik ve'ani ve'ami Arshaim. I sinned this time, Hashem is the Tzadik and my nation are the Rishaim. We spoke about this in last week's class. This was a moment when Parol was actually righteous. He acknowledged Hashem. His righteousness didn't last long. We know that. As soon as the hail stopped, he went back to his old ways. He didn't let the Jews out. But nevertheless, two words, Hashem HaTzadik. And our rabbis tell us, that the Egyptians merited a proper burial because of that. After the Egyptians drowned in Yamsuf, the sea washed them ashore and they were buried there. And the rabbis tell us, we learn from here the value of a good moment. For one moment that Paro recognized Hashem, he was rewarded. Usually there are three things that people hope for and pray at the moment of death. One, that there's a minyan present by, by Yetziat Neshama when a person passes away to be immersed in the mikveh before burial, and that their money should go to worthy causes. The Egyptians earned those three benefits. There were 600,000 Jews at the time that they died. They were in a mikveh because they died in Yamsuf, and their money went to a worthy cause, went to the Jewish people. All of this, why? Because Paro said, Hashem HaTzadik, Hashem is righteous. And how important it is, we don't know the value of our deeds. We think a mitzvah is small and insignificant, but with every mitzvah is extremely great. With every small accomplishment, the reward is very great. And we can rise to high levels. When Asav met Yaakov, he kissed him. And Rashi writes, in the name of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, there is a halakha that Asav sone Yaakov. Asav hates Yaakov, but at that moment his compassion was roused. And he kissed Yaakov with his entire heart. Isaiah was rewarded for that moment. 
The Torah tells us about Esav's large family. And Rabbi tell us that this was a reward for the moment he kissed Yaakov with all his heart. How much a person can earn in one moment. Esav received great reward for the one time he performed a good deed. Hashem didn't give the Torah to angels. People are human. And because of that, we make mistakes. Hashem doesn't expect perfection from us. This is the reason that even a small accomplishment is so precious to Hashem. If we overcame our human limitations and managed to do a good deed before Hashem, it's always exceptional in His eyes. Once uh, a student you know, chose not to attend the class of Musar. Musar is a class of discipline, the drasha of discipline. And the, the man said, he was asked, why don't you go to the Musar class? And he answered, well, whenever I go to the drasha, I become inspired to be better for a few days, and then I return to my old ways. So why should I go if the inspiration is not going to last? So the rabbi told him, if someone is drowning in the ocean, and then another guy comes and swims out to save him, and says, I can rescue you, but I can't save you forever. I can only save you, help you live for another half an hour. Would you accept the offer? Of course you would accept the offer. So I advise you, go to Drasha. Listen to the discipline, even if it only lasts a short while. It's also, also precious. This idea is very similar when it comes to doing Teshuvah. When a person wants to repent for his sins. Well, the big question is, how should a person do Teshuvah? Should a person rush and do it in one swift motion? Improve quickly? Or should he improve gradually, step by step? The truth is, there's a time and place for both approaches. And really, we can learn it from this week's parasha in the laws of Korban Pesach. The Torah tells us, V'achaltem oto bechipazon Pesach hu Hashem. The commandment to eat the Korban Pesach is in haste, quickly. It's the Korban Pesach. And Rashi says that the, the Korban is called Pesach, which means jumping, to skip over, because Atem asu kol avodotav l'shem shamayim derech dilug u'kfitza zecher lishmo shekarui Pesach. Translated means, you shall do all the mitzvot l'shem shamayim for the sake of heaven in the form of jumping and rushing. And that's why it's called Pesach. So, so we see that when we do our actions, we got to jump towards it. And the Torah also writes, This is how you should eat it. We're girded with our belts, we have shoes on our feet, walking sticks in our hands. These things show that we're prepared to leave immediately. All of these matters represent the rushing atmosphere, the zrizut in which we ate the Korban Pesach. But the Gemara tells us that all these halachot only applied to the first Korban Pesach, the one that they sacrificed in Egypt in the time of Moshe. But in future Korban Pesachs, afterward there was no obligation to dress like we're ready to travel anymore. There's no mitzvah to eat it bechipazon in haste. So how does this connect to small steps in Teshuvah or our Avodat Hashem? So as a rabbi called it Tzidkat HaTzadik, and he explains, when a person begins his Avodat Hashem, his service of God, he has to act in haste. That's what happened in Mitzrayim with the Korban Pesach. The, the Pesach that was made in Egypt, it had to be eaten with, with haste. All the other Korban Pesachs don't need to be eaten in haste. 
So when one begins, you have to detach yourself from all the temptations of the world which you're attached to. And when you have a moment of inspiration to become better, you quickly grab the opportunity. And by doing so, perhaps you're going to succeed. But after that, you take it slow. Gradual steps. And this is what's demonstrated by the Korban Pesach of the rest of the generations. The Korban, the Korban Pesach Mitzrayim, you're at such a low level of Tumah, you're dying for any form of spirituality, grab it, quickly. Jump on the opportunity. But then for the Korbanot, after that, future generations, step by step, no need to go in haste, no need to get ready quickly. No, 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 no. Le'at, le'at. There are times when a person must jump in and hastily improve his ways, but the standard rule is that a person should grow in his spirituality step by step. Hashem didn't ask Paro to free the Jews forever. He asked him that he release the Jews for a three-day holiday. And after they serve Hashem, they're going to return. Why did he do that? Why didn't just tell Paro right away, I want the Jews out forever? The answer because Hashem doesn't ask people to do more than they can handle. Paro wasn't capable of sending the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim forever. And that's why Hashem requested less. Similarly, when we do Teshuvah, we need to be aware that Teshuvah is a process. It takes time. Hashem isn't asking us to do more than we can handle. If someone makes an accounting for his soul, a cheshbon nefesh, and he realizes that he's wasting a lot of time that could be used for uh, beneficial things, for good deeds, tzedakah, learning Torah, and he resolves to improve, Hashem doesn't expect him to become the greatest matmi that he's not going to waste a minute the rest of his life immediately. Impossible. Hashem wants him to take a step forward in the right direction, whatever's within his capabilities. A student once saw uh, a big Tamit Chacham studying seven hours without interruption in the Bet Midrash. And he went up to him, he goes, Rabbi, I don't get it. How do you do seven hours? A lot of us, we try to compare our own studying. We study for tests, we study for exams, we try reading a book. After 20 minutes, 30 minutes, we can't anymore. We have to get up and move around. Right? Your eyes start hurting. You start getting dizzy. Oh, too much. I have to get a drink. I have to uh, look at my phone. I have to check my emails. Seven hours straight. You know what that is? So he says, you want to know how I did it? When I was younger, I made a Kabbalah. I made an acceptance upon myself that I'm going to learn the first 15 minutes of every seder, of every session, without interruption. And after I did this for a while, I took it upon myself to refrain from speaking for the first half an hour of the session. And from time to time, I added more and more time, and now I'm up to seven hours straight, without interruption. Unbelievable. There was once two brothers. One of them was learning Torah amidst poverty, and his wealthy brother would send him uh, money each month to help him out. And the wealthy brother sent him a note once that says, I want to write a contract to clarify that I'm going to get the reward in Olam Abba because I'm supporting you. So the brother who's supporting him, no question is going to get the, the reward. But the, the scholar, he needs time to think it over. Why do you want a contract for? So he went to Rav Chaim Ivalajan, the, the student of the Vilna Gaon, and Rav Chaim Ivalajan said that even without a contract, the wealthy brother will receive the reward that the Torah is learning, no question. 
And we know this, the Gemara says, from where do the women have zechuyot? The Gemara replies, they earn the merit from the Torah because they helped her husband study and they send their children to school. And therefore, since the wealthy brother, similar to, to, to the ladies of the home, since the wealthy brothers help supporting the brother who's learning, no question is going to get the reward for Torah. But Rav Chaim Velazhin said the following, and he added, he's not going to get the special reward that is given to those who study Torah mitoch adachak, when a person is struggling, when he's poor. The wealthy brother has the merit of the Torah, but it's without any hardships. He's living a good life. He's just sending money over. He's not going to get the ultimate reward that's going to go to the poor brother because he's studying Torah amidst difficulties and poverty. It states in Mishlei, Man's foolish ways ruin his path and he gets angry at Hashem. The Gaon Mevilna says, explains, brings down Masechet Shabbat, Gemara, When one strives to be pure, he is helped from above. Sometimes a person begins his journey in Judaism, performing mitzvot or learning Torah, and then he stops, and he doesn't continue because it's too hard for him. And he says, ah, I didn't get any help from above. He becomes angry at Hashem. He becomes angry at God. He says, why isn't God helping me? But really, he failed because of his own foolishness. A person should seek to grow according to his level. One shouldn't jump levels. If he strives to grow according to his level, then he's going to have the siyata dishmaya and succeed. But this person didn't climb to his level, and therefore he wasn't helped. This is a translation of the pasuk. Ivelet Adam, because of his foolishness, which was that he didn't act with the Yishubadat, he tried to reach levels that was beyond him, Siluf Tarko. He couldn't succeed. Zo'ef al Hashem, lama lo And he's angry with Hashem, why doesn't God help me? And similarly, the pasuk before that, Mishleid Shlomo Melch writes, Atz beraglaim choteh. The raglaim here referred to the good midot that a person can accustom himself to until they become his second nature. Regilut, raglaim, something that is like habit. But a person must grow from level to level like someone climbing a ladder. He shouldn't jump to levels that are beyond him. This is the translation of atz beraglaim. When a person jumps to a high level, that is beyond him, he is sinning. And he will end up without anything because he will fall from that level. Like we explained, there are times when a person must leap and throw himself there right into the middle of the fire, into the fire of Avodat Hashem, which might be beyond his level. When you're, on, when you're in a situation like the Jews were in Mitzrayim, and you're in the 49th level, you need a Korban Pesach. You need the, like the Korban Pesach sacrifice in Mitzrayim, the blood of the Brit Milah. It was, it was a new beginning and there's a need to rush. You got to get in there because at that moment it's life or death. If I reach level number 50, I'm done. I'm finished. I can't get out of it. So it's whatever I can hold on to and you jump. But the moment you feel a little stable, okay, you move progressively forward, but one step at a time. Small steps is what is important in life. And the way to proceed <clears throat> in our journey of Avodat Hashem. Kedoshim tiyu. We have a commandment to be holy. Yorachayim HaKadosh says, Why does he say Kedoshim tiyu? In future tense, you shall be holy. Because it's something that you all constantly have to think about as we go along. It's not just like I'm holy today and that's it. No, every day I become 
better and better. Tomorrow is better than today. And today is for sure better than yesterday. Every day I strive to be holier and holier. And that's done through small steps. And Bezrat Hashem, as we continue this and we think about and we do Cheshbon HaNefesh and we look back at our day and our lives, uh, every single day we stop and say, how could tomorrow be better than today? And just add one small step. One small little drop of ink can really, really make a difference. And Bezrat Hashem with that will be Zocheh to lots of great things, lots of bracha, hatzacha, and yeshua among all of us, wishing everyone a wonderful night.